not gonna intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Hello, Alec. Hello, Hunter. What is The Line? The Line is a planned city in Saudi Arabia, and it is part of a new uh, developmental area called Neom, or Neom, uh, spelled N-E-O-M, which is um, part of an even larger initiative in Saudi Arabia called the Vision 2030, and where they're trying to undergo rapid development into the 21st century. But going back to the line, the line is a planned city that instead of being uh, radial or based off of a grid, is based off of a single, uh, it's, it's built laterally. And the dimensions of which will be something like 200 meters across. So that's about a football stadium by 500 meters high which will make it the 12th largest structure in the world by 170 kilometers out into the desert. And 170 so, kilometers, so a 100 mile long straight line that's about, I don't know, three times five, about 1,500 feet tall. Yeah, so it will be enormous, um, although not visible from space since this is only 200 meters wide. Um, you know, kind of like the uh, Great Wall. You can't really see it from space. What other tall building... What's the similar size of comparison for the line? I uh, off the top of my head, I don't know. Do you? Do you? I believe I believe the uh, World Trade Center is okay. about the same height, and then if you stretch that out twenty eight hundred times, yeah, that's the size of this thing that Saudi Arabia wants to build. And when you look at the conceptual art, it's going. The exterior of it is going to be built with a mirror like surface, which presumably will reflect some of the desert light back and hopefully keep it cooler um and it is it's going to be built in an area that is not well populated in saudi arabia it's literally a desert right they're building it from the ocean to the desert so they're building it from the gulf of aqaba um in in the in the persian gulf and or sorry in the red sea and then there it's going to extend east by southeast into the desert where there's very little habitation and it's going to accommodate something like 9 million people. And that is kind of in line with um, Saudi Arabia's projected population growth. And it's going to have a population density of about 260,000 people per square kilometer. And by comparison, Manila, which is currently the world's most densely populated city, has a density of about 44,000. So this is like a this is like a uh, five or six or seven fold in, increase in the population density of of what of the most dense world the most densely populated city in the world right now. So it's going the it's a planned city, which um, it's you know opposed to saying like a naturally developing city, like a sprawling city. So it's planned, yeah. smart city that literally a tall very long line and thanks for saying smart city so some of the attributes of it is these the uh the systems in place that are going to be required for this to operate are going to be uh, developed in conjunction with artificial intelligence 
so that they're going to be able to have the logistics to be able to run this. And how and, are the how are the how is AI going to be implemented? Uh, well, because it's a smart city, um, it, there's going to be a lot of uh, measurement tools to be able to determine how what the status is of. Uh, I don't know the details of it, but I, I guess as far as like temperature regulation and like resource allocation. Really quick, let me just read a snippet from Neom's website. So Neom describes the line, the city, as a cognitive city stretching 170 kilometers with the epic mountains of Neom across inspirational desert valleys to the beautiful Red Sea. A mirrored architectural masterpiece towering 500 meters above sea level, but a land saving 200 meters wide. The line redefines the concept of urban development and what cities of the future will look like. There's a, in various descriptions of it, promotional pieces, there's a lot of talk about sustainability and clean energy. So they're planning on having fields and fields of solar panels that will accompany this structure to be able to power it, uh, which is in line with Saudi Arabia's goals of moving away from a reliance on oil. I, uh, and so are there any other projects that are part of Neom? So I understand that the line is one of many projects, and I believe they're still announcing new projects uh, yes. as part of Neom. And Neom, they're calling it, I believe it's a it's a uh, portmanteau, portmanteau, I don't know how to say that word, I just read it, of two words, Neo, the Greek prefix meaning new, and then the first letter of the Arabic word for future and so they put those together it's also the first letter of the prince of of saudi arabia yes of his, of his name and so, so the, the crown prince mohammed bin salman so the m also coming from uh mohammed so there's there's a number of other projects that, that are being developed as a part of the neon collective so neon will be a city or a region of the future of which the line is one of the cities it will also have a uh futuristic port city that is like semi floating yeah the oxagon uh, they right, say so, uh do you have the list pulled up yeah so we've got oxagon we've got trajana we've got Sindala, uh and the line are the four main components of neon yeah i see i see about 10 other ones and the ox so it's i think the oxagon is on the the start of the line which is the long city and it's a they call it a floating industrial complex where i believe they're bringing that's where they're going to have their industry and then all of the residents of the of this huge line are going to live next to it and so they're going to they're going to travel to the oxagon to do their work and get their you know they tra do trading there and then they have a bunch of other projects where they're it seems like just a bunch of luxury resorts so they yeah. have a luxury hotel luxury coast destination luxury like ski resort so Trajana is the luxury ski resort and Sindala is a uh it's an island resort which they've begun construction on as well so and in uh, the vision 2030 framework is largely being implemented by the whims of the crown prince Mohammed bin salman and a huge amount of what they're looking to do to be able to make this sustainable is to is they're really doubling down on the tourism aspect of it, and which, in my evaluation, more or less stems from the model that Dubai has put forth. 
So as Saudi Arabia is, is saying, okay, our oil reserves are going to dwindle throughout the 21st century. We're going to need to transition away from that. One of the goals of the Vision 2030 is to uh, transition the private sector from taking 40% of GDP up to 65%. So they're, they're trying to get away from the state-sponsored Aramco, which takes care of the, uh, Saudi Arabia's oil. Um, okay. and, and so Dubai in the 1970s, they, they knew that they were not going to have the same kind of oil reserves um, that some of the surrounding countries were, so Dubai being part of the United Arab Emirates. And so they started investing heavily into tourism and, and being a travel destination. So a huge amount of east to west flights, uh, layover in Dubai, and then building upon that, they did a lot of uh, tourist and luxury development. And so Saudi Arabia says, well, it's working so well for them, let's do the same. Uh, but I have some misgivings about how well this is going. They use the word sustainability a lot. And I don't know how a, a line of a city in the desert is going to have the sustainable aspects that they're purporting. Yeah. So I, mean, I think that's a good uh, segue. So, I mean, I think you could probably summarize the impacts of the line and the other projects they have into three categories. I say economic, ecological, and humanitarian. And so mm -hmm. you're kind of hinting at the ecological aspect. So, I mean, I'd say like the the biggest positive they have is that it takes up a lot less space. So you said it's really popu population dense city. Um, New York is about, New York City is about 11,000 people per square kilometer. And the line's going to be 264,000. Yeah. Or something, or something about those. Something like that. So that would, if New York was that population dense, it would reduce its footprint, its physical footprint by 96%. So it's 25 times denser than New York City. So it, so by definition, it takes up a lot less space. So that's a positive. Um, I'd say the negative is that it's a giant fucking skyscraper tall, 100 mile long building. And so it's going to be a mirrored building. And so that's going to be a catastrophe for any migratory animals in the middle of the desert. So it's a giant wall. Um, and we were looking at earlier uh, how many birds die a year in wind turbines alone. In the U.S., it's about a million birds per year. And then if you look at how many birds die from colliding with skyscrapers, existing skyscrapers that aren't 100 miles long, it's a billion birds every year in the U.S. die by flying into skyscrapers. So this is going to be a, it's like I would say a trillion fucking birds would die. Well, it, I they mean, would probably just not fly there anymore. There's probably fewer birds in the desert. And, but yeah, it, it'll probably be. It'd probably be pretty problematic would, for birds. Yeah, which, birds and anything else. So, I mean, I think just by, they were, they're going to have to do something about the local migratory animals. They're going to have to have some sort of crossing because that's going to, that's going to really fuck up the, any animals that actually, actually migrate. Well, do you know what the, one of the most significant populations of migratory animals is around the desert? It's, I honestly didn't even look at humans. It's people, oh, so, nomadic peoples. Yeah, so the tribe, naturally, that's where the, the tribes live. And Saudi Arabian government has been forcibly removing those folks to, to create this futuristic city. Um, and there's been some people protesting Saudi Arabia, and they were posting videos online about how they're, they don't want the Saudi Arabian government to remove these people. And they found out he was posting on social media, and they killed him. 
he was a Howard Tot tribes member. Yeah, he was a member and he was posting online and trying to get support in Western countries to help them stop being forcibly removed. And so they killed him and they've, I, I believe it's like five to 10 other folks that they've killed that we know of. And, and they've uh, imprisoned something like 50 tribes members, I think, who refuse to leave their lands. Yeah. So there's that ecological side, I guess, that's kind of more humanitarian, but it's um, not very good for the local natives. They're forcibly removing them and literally killing them to build this I, and, <laughs> enormous I, line. And uh, another tribe that's not being spoken about as much is the Bedouins. So the Bedouins were traditionally uh, camel riding nomadic peoples. And so if there's a, a hundred mile long line that they would have to go around, unless there's some kind of an eco passage, it, it's going to seriously affect uh, their traditional trade routes. Although it's a very small amount of people that live that traditional lifestyle. Yeah, I think that they were going to have to do something. They're going to have to create some sort of eco passage for animals and humans that live there. Um, so I think the other elephant in the room uh, from the humanitarian perspective is women's rights. Um, so I think the overall impact by introducing this big city, because the way they described it was it's going to bring in people of every culture. They don't want just Saudi Arabian folks living there. They want everybody across the world in this area to kind of, you know, to increase tourism. So I think just by virtue of having all of those people coming in, I think it's going to help force modernize the women's rights in Saudi Arabia. Um, but by participating in this thing, you're kind of uh, supporting the existing regime and what they think women should uh, should act in society. So I take it that Saudi Arabia doesn't have a very favorable human or women's rights record. No, the in the 22 World Economic Forum gender gap report, Saudi Arabia ranked 127 out of 153 countries. And so that's not very good. That's bottom 20 percent. The World Bank ranked Saudi Arabia 80 out of 100, an above average global score, which was a little controversial. And the United Nations Economic and Social Council elected Saudi Arabia to the UN Commission on the Status of Women from 2018 and uh, to 2022. So that's, I, to me, I think they were bribing folks in the World Bank and uh, the ECOSOC. That's the acronym. Um, because the Economic Forum Gender Gap Report ranked them poorly. But so just a little history of women's rights in Saudi Arabia is not very pretty. So uh, the timeline that I was able to find was in 1955, the first private school for girls was opened. Um, in 2005, they banned forced marriages. So up until 2005, marriages were forced. Uh, they were allowed did to not require the, the consent of the woman involved of the woman. Yeah. And then in 2011, they were allowed to vote for the first time. Mm -hmm. The king allowed them to vote for the first time. So I don't even, I don't even know if it's codified in law that they have the right to vote still. Um, in 2019, they were given the right to register for divorce and marriage. So now they can do those things. In 2019, um, they can apply for passports. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and they can change their own personal data in 2021. That's a recent development. So that's like their family name, name of children, marital status, without the need for a guardian's permission. Well, the guardianship aspect is interesting whereas so part of the 2030 visions is to digitize as much as possible including government operations and so uh the women's ability they only recently got the right to drive 
like within the last 10 years or so. Yep. Um, I can't remember what year it was, 2015. Um, but still, for women to be able to legally to go anywhere, they need to have uh, basically been signed off by their male guardian. So for many women, their male guardian will be either their father or their husband. And um, if, if you're traveling through a checkpoint and uh, now they're creating like apps for the male guardianship so that you can have an app that shows that your husband has signed off and you being allowed to go to the grocery store or whatever. But if you don't, if you don't have that app or you don't have that permission at whatever checkpoint, you could, I guess they're calling up daddy to make sure that they know where you are. So I, on the one side, there's been a lot of rapid change on the social front. Correct. But on the other side, uh, it's still not anywhere near where the majority of women expect or are used to having the level of rights in the, in the modern world. So you're right that convincing people to move to this new newly developed city, which has a nebulous uh, foundation as far as economic productivity, there's just one point at the end of it where there's a port city and then like a couple points along the way where there's like luxury destinations. How is that going to support the economic activities of 9 million people? Well, you know, so, that, so that's, that's a point of uncertainty. And then on top of that, why would women want to move from a country where they have more rights to one where they have less rights? I agree. I mean, that's definitely challenges. So are you saying uh, the net that this development of the line is a net negative? I, so for the world and Saudi Arabia at large, it's a mixed bag. On the one hand, the vision 2030 has already shown that Saudi Arabia is willing to, um, for back of a letter, lack of a better phrase, socially modernize. So one of the 2030 um, goals was to have 30% of uh, the workforce or 30% of women in the workforce. And at when the 2030 goals were announced in 2016, so there was a lot of ambition that in 14 years they'd be able to make a lot of changes. And they're trying to build the line starting this year. Uh, I mean, like they've really been doing massive earthworks within the last year. So they're, they're trying to do it in like, say, seven years, build this enormous city. So, but back to the women, the, their goal of 30%, they've already surpassed it. So in, in 2017, they were at 22% women's participation in the workforce. And now, uh, or sorry, as of 2022, they're at 35%. So they've already exceeded the 2030 goal of 30%. And, and I'm sorry, then, the 2030 goal of 30% of what? 30% of women participating in the workforce. Okay. And, and so, so, or so they say, so they say, but I, by a number of metrics, Saudi Arabia is, is changing it very strict social structure to be more welcoming. So just within the last few months, they've begun the first sales of alcohol. It's really only available for uh, diplomats and, and people related to diplomatic uh, missions because there was so much I illegal. I think expats as well. Maybe some expats. It's, I mean, it's prohibitively expensive. Like a single bottle of whiskey is like a couple hundred dollars, I think. But uh, there was so much black market activity in relation to alcohol, that they decided to to open it up a little bit, and they've also um, they had their first state sponsored concert in 25 years, which um, had Toby Keith as one of the headliners. What? <laughs> they, America. They had, 
They've begun plans and development of a Six Flags park. They are uh, transforming a former oil producing oil rig into an oil rig themed theme park. And th- so, so those are net positive. So are you saying it's so it's so I'm looking at bag. I'm looking at the positive side first, which is I think that the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman is is really bringing his country into the 21st century socially. However, I think at least that on I, the face of it, I don't think it, I, I don't think, think they're actually. So I'm mean, I'm reading some of these things that are happening. So we they have women have the right to register for divorce and marriage. So they mm-hmm. have a right to register. That doesn't mean they have the right to divorce and marry without guardianship. They can register for it. So I think I have a feeling that on the face they're trying to act like they're making progress, but they're probably not. I, I but I I think the crown prince is at the forefront of wanting of, of doing this big push. I think he's in favor of of really westernizing a lot of aspects of their culture. Uh, at the same time the Saudi Arabia, the political house and family is largely in power because of its alliance with the Wahhabi um, religious order. And Wahhabism has notoriously been extremely stringent and has led to some fundamentalist ideologies. So the crown prince is in a position where it wants to, he wants the, his country to remain relevant, while at the same time he has an enormous amount of the population that holds to very strict religious principles. Saudi Arabia houses two of the biggest cities in the Islamic uh, religion. So uh, Mecca, there's the, there's, and the pilgrimage to Mecca is something that every, well, traditionally Muslim man should try to undertake within their lifetime. I can't remember what that pilgrimage is called. It starts with the letter U. Um, but because of that, they're always going to have this big tourist, tourism influence. However, three or sorry, two of the uh, or sorry, three of the four most populous uh, Muslim countries, um, the top four Muslim countries by population are Indonesia, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Indonesia, India and Bangladesh are non Middle Eastern countries and cultures that will probably want to modernize very quickly and many of which will have more open rights for their women than some of the traditional uh, Muslim countries. So I think if they're trying to it, it bring on this like population growth, they're going to have to modernize their standards of, of social treatment. So I think they will follow through with, with, with women's rights. Uh, but at the same time, uh, so the, the downside, well, those, those Muslim countries, they have restrictive policies for women also. India so does have if they're targeting those those Muslim countries, they're probably under pressure from them to keep keep oppressing women. Well, the I would counter that I, that the Muslim cultures in uh, Indonesia and Bangladesh and India don't ascribe to the Wahhabi um, fundamentalist aspects, and so they're. And, and they they want to be at the forefront of technological in, innovation, and a lot of that goes hand in hand with social innovation as well, and social progression. And so, so Saudi, you're just saying Saudi Arabia is more fundamentalist than the, those Saudi, other countries you mentioned. Yes, because of the the Wahhabi school of religion, and um, and so yeah, I think I think that if they want to get 
tourists, if they want to get foreign residents to relocate to the Holy Land, then they're going to have to soften some of their uh, social restrictions. So that's, I think that's on the positive side. Uh, on the negative side, this is actually not something that is new to Saudi Arabia. So um, in the 1970s, they had plans to develop uh, numerous, I think it was something like six uh, economically based cities in Saudi Arabia and tried to get a lot of foreign investment. And as of um, it was something like 2008, only one of those cities was really economically viable. And um, it's the uh, King Abdullah Economic City, which is 60 miles north of one of their other big cities, Jeddah. And it's uh, growing. It's only at 15% capacity. So and how long so, ago did they build that? Um, and that measurement was uh, 2000. Uh, no, I can't remember when it was, but it, the, the plans for it began in the 1970s. And then that particular city, I believe, started in development in 2003. So we're looking at something like 20 years that they've wanted to have the King Abdullah economic city up and running. And it's, it's barely it's hanging on. Yeah. So you don't think they have the gusto to finish it? I, I well, it's, they might, but does the world support what they're trying to do? And I, I think they have a, they've done a they number. I think they compensate the folks enough, they're going to get it done. And they have a fuck ton of money. They have the their fund of, of Saudi Arabia, which is basically controlled by the crown prince. To our knowledge, has is about eight hundred. They have about eight hundred billion dollars of assets. Mm-hmm. And this Neom project is supposed to cost up to about a trillion dollars, anywhere between five hundred billion and a trillion dollars. And they're also getting investments from Western countries and companies. I think they can do this i don't know if they're going to do 100 percent of it i think it would be a net positive for mankind because it's i don't think we've humankind has done something like this in the future or in the past um so i think i would love to see this happen but there's the human rights issues and i think the positive thing is if they bring in western cultures they're going to be forced to modernize so i'm interested to see um, I'm, it's interesting to see that they are inviting the Western culture into their country because they're so they've been so uh, traditionalists historically. So I think be, ju- just that alone, I think, is a net positive. The the social reforms, you think? Yeah. Well, yeah, they're, I agree. They're, they're basically inviting social reforms. I agree, but I don't think there's the economic substance to be able to support the sustainability, which is this huge word that they're throwing around. Every single publication that they are leaning heavily into sustainability, clean and renewable energies. Um, and, you know, a port city, a, an artificial port city that's about 42 square kilometers, I don't think is going to be enough of a powerhouse to generate economic activity for 9 million people at one point of a city that's aligned. Well, and I even think if there's, there's going to be uh, commerce throughout the city also. There's no way you're not going to have commerce within the 9 million, the 100 miles of 9 million people living on top of each other. There's going to be, yeah, it would require an enormous amount of like inter-exchange within the city itself, perhaps the majority of it, but there's got to be some reason for it to be there in the first place. And most big cities are there because they're basically a natural trade hub. Most big cities are port cities. And 
So to create a port that is sort of like a free trade zone is a huge incentive, but the artificial side of it, it's not true necessarily in, in building things that they will come. And well, you don't if, have to. I mean, there's the service economy is huge nowadays. You don't have to be trading to build wealth. So there, there's, uh, you can work remote and you can perform services in, in the, the line without having to be, you know, in the U.S. for if you work for a U.S. company, you can work remote. Well, okay. So there's a, besides the example I brought of the King Abdullah Economic City not taking off the way it was planned, here's, a, here's another example of a, a planned city that didn't take off. The capital of Myanmar, uh, be, partially due to the uh, civic unrest that's in Myanmar, they've relocated the capital from, from its former capital on the coast inland and so they build a whole city and you can see there's many striking photos of a 20 lane highway that has zero vehicles on it so this city has just not taken off it has not been populated the way that they plan there another example of a failed mega project was a large airport in uh, the middle of spain so billions of dollars went into the development of a new airport to take some of the strain off the madrid airport and to also hopefully open it up to tourism throughout the country, but the airlines didn't sign up for it. And so now the only purpose that this airport really has is as a storage facility for extra airplanes. Um, I, and it just, I think just because my- those were failed projects, I don't, think, I don't think that's reason to believe that this is going to fail. And we, just we said saying- at the beginning of the 60s that we have to go to the moon. Mm-hmm. And we fucking went to the moon. I'd say that's crazier than this. I, well, see, the, that was a single event. What they're trying to propose yeah, is... Well, that's, well, there's so much planning a, that goes into it, into going to space and landing on the fucking moon. It's not just one single event. That's a shit ton of work that went into it. A huge amount of work to be able to have an event that, that and collaboration five, three, with four people within, within the vessel itself. Whereas you're talking about trying to create a sustainable system with 9 million people. Yeah, but as you're not lifting it off the ground and flying into space, I'd say, I'd say crazier things have happened in the past. I think this is an enormous construction project. The Great Wall of China was built, and I don't, I I don't have knowledge of any significant project. I'm sure there were. I just didn't do research. But I mean, I don't think that means that it's going to fail just because other projects failed. No, I'm, it doesn't mean for sure it's going to fail. Um, I just think that it, it's not going to have the foundation to be able to support itself. And, and I mean that as far as like, in my head, when I envision- I'm a supporter. I think it's going to win. I think they're going to build it. When I envision the completed structure of the line, it comes to my, I think of a dystopian movie. It's like, you know, you're, you're riding a hovercraft through the desert and you come up to this uh, Blade Runner-esque city where on the outside, it's a sheer face, no way in or out. And so you have to have these like, you know, uh, renegades who, who have a way to get in and say, out of the city. It, no, it's a, it's and then once you get inside city. the city, it's like there's, you know, no plants because very little sunlight is going to be able to get in. And it's just people like everywhere just and just slums of people going back and forth and doing unregulated trade to be able to combat the smart aspect of the city that tries to control all the flow of resources. I think, it, I think there's, I think if you think it's going to fail, then you're just at putting negative energy out there. Okay, Alec, 
<laughs> and you're going to make it fail just by the energy you're putting out. I, th I think there's a better allocation of resources from the Saudi Arabian government. I think if they, if I think that the economic and and luxury destinations that well, they're planning are the a good idea, but I don't for from the Saudi Arabian government to other international companies. So it's increasing international trade. You're giving all the these really expensive contracts to international companies. So really, oh, at the at least, it's a transfer of wealth from this enormous eight hundred billion dollar asset fund to other countries. So at the very least, it's a transfer of wealth from Saudi Arabia to other countries. So I say that's a net positive, and it's increasing interactions with other countries. So it's going to help modernize again. The, well, the if you're if you're looking world. at it as from an anti-Saudi perspective, where it's like, oh yeah, we we're getting a slice of the pie, sure. But I'm saying in the Saudis best interest I, th I think it is i, I think they're trying interest. to i think they're trying to force it i think they're trying to do too much too quick well you have to force it with something like that there's no way you're going to build something that incredible without forcing something well exactly so by forcing it they're force, saying like we have just build a, a spacecraft by that themselves we have a construction that everybody's going to show up to and support because look at how beautiful it is look at how smart it is but unless there's the underlying reason for its existence, then it, it's just going to be, it, it's just not going to take off. It's not going to be able to hold its water. I think it will. Well, time will tell. Well, let's agree to disagree. All right, then. Well, uh, do you have any final closing thoughts on the line? No, I'm excited to see it in my lifetime. I'm going to visit it with my children and my children's children and i'm excited to visit its ruins and become and a muslim great uh photographs as if it were chernobyl always having that good energy alec appreciate it you're very welcome thanks hunter and now it is your turn listener to let us know what your entitled opinion is about the line do you think the line is a marvelous futuristic aspiration that will move humanity forward into perhaps, dare we say, utopia? Or is it quite the opposite? Is it a dystopian, man-made, manufactured mayhem of a mess? If you're listening on Spotify, you can answer by scrolling down and typing in your answer in the Spotify question there. And you can also answer us if you're not listening on Spotify. You can reach out to us via email or Instagram. Our email is entitledopinionpodcast at gmail.com. And our Instagram handle is entitledopinionpod. And finally, you could go visit our website, entitledopin.com, in which we have a contact us page. And we will respond to you. That is a guarantee. So let us know what you think, and I'll let you know if you're right or not. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.